Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Kimberly Beck. Kimberly has served in multiple leadership roles with Catholic and conservative organizations for more than 20 years. She is an attorney, experienced fundraiser, and expert in plant giving and honoring donor intent. She currently serves as Director of Programs and General Counsel of the Ortner Family Foundation, helping grant organizations strengthen all aspects of their operations. She oversees the Foundation's newest project, Catholic School Playbook. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. I am not Jeremy Tade, as you may have noticed. (laughs) My name is Chelsea Nemec, and I am the Director of Catholic School Partnerships here at CLT. As you know, we have been dropping a podcast each day for Catholic Schools Week, and today is day three of our series. We're so glad you're joining us. Come back tomorrow to hear our interview with Sean Malpe and Father Sirico from Sacred Heart Academy. And Friday, we'll post our interview with Dr. Mark Newcomb from Holy Rosary Academy in Anchorage, Alaska. But I'm so excited to introduce our effervescent guest today, Kimberly Begg. Kimberly has served in multiple leadership roles with Catholic and conservative organizations for more than 20 years. She is an attorney, an experienced fundraiser, and an expert in planning, giving and honoring donor intent. She currently serves as Director of Programs and General Counsel of the Ortner Family Foundation, helping grant organizations strengthen all aspects of their operations. She oversees the foundation's newest project, oh my goodness, I love this, the Catholic School Playbook. Kimberly serves on the Board of Overseers of the Dominican House of Studies, the Board of Directors of Young America's Foundation, the Washington, D.C. Board of Regents for Thomas Aquinas College, and the Advisory Board of the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chelsea. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited about the work that you're doing. Uh, You're the editor of a new online site called the Catholic School Playbook that's getting a lot of attention in the world of education, and especially Catholic education. Can you tell us what Catholic School Playbook is and how the project came about? Yes, Catholic School Playbook is an online resource of best practices in Catholic education. And it was written for everybody involved in Catholic education. So that includes principals and other school leaders, superintendents, pastors, teachers, and also parents who are the primary educators of their children. Uh, It is a free online service. It was formatted in a way that makes it very easy to read online, but it can also be fully downloaded and printed, um, which makes it easy to share with others. And it's only six chapters. The whole playbook was written so that it could be read cover to cover within an hour. So as for the play, how the playbook came about, 
It is a project of the Ortner Family Foundation, which was founded by Mike and Liz Ortner to promote human flourishing. So we face a lot of problems in our society today. There are social problems, economic problems, political problems, and the key to fixing all of them is education. So the idea for the project came about through the realization that, yes, Catholic education is in crisis. The education world has been talking about the crisis in Catholic education for decades now. We've seen a 70% decline in enrollment since the peak of Catholic schools in 1965. And we know that more than 100 Catholic schools close every year. And that is devastating to these school communities when the schools close. But that's only half the story in Catholic education. Because while we're seeing decrease in enrollment almost across the board, we are also seeing these small communities of thriving Catholic schools all across the country. So Mike Ortner is an entrepreneur and he wanted to set out to find out what it was that these thriving Catholic school communities are doing differently. So for the last year or so, I've been interviewing the leaders of very successful Catholic schools and interviewing them on all aspects of operating a school from mission to recruiting teachers and students to hiring and fundraising, managing tricky relationships. And we have compiled our findings into the Catholic school playbook. And one of the best parts about the playbook is that it's an ongoing project. So we're continuing to interview strong, great, exciting leaders of Catholic schools and continuing to add best practices to the playbook. Wow, that's amazing. I, I love the format that you've you've taken of putting it online so that it can reach a broader audience and it's not intimidating. You can take it one little bit at a time. Um, and what have you learned so far? What have you learned from these interviews? Well, I'd say the biggest takeaway is that the most successful Catholic schools are those that are faithfully Catholic. So I really mean three different things by saying they're faithfully Catholic. First, universally, they are rejecting the modern methods and the modern aims of most modern schools. So one of the biggest problems in education today is this obsession with assessments and career readiness and college readiness. Now, there's nothing wrong with assessments in and of themselves. We love classic learning tests. I think that's a very valuable assessment. And in fact, a lot of the schools that are featured in the playbook use classic learning test, but it's this, it's this obsession with teaching to the test and really denying the, the, the curious nature of a child and a failure to cultivate wonder and awe in a child so that school is, is joyful and learning is joyful. A child, a child in his natural state is curious. A child in his natural state loves to learn. And yet, if you ask most kids today, if they like school, they'll say no. If you ask them if, you, if they like to learn, they will say no. It's not that they don't like to learn. It's that they are not enjoying their experience of going to school and being taught to perform a certain way on a test. So that, that's really the first way that these schools are remaining um, Catholic is by just rejecting what mm -hmm. so many of the modern schools are doing. But the second way is by restoring the intellectual and sacramental traditions of the church. Now, intellectually, this means immersing children in classic literature and theology, logic, philosophy, 
art, music, you know, so much of what you talk about when you talk about classical education. But when we're talking about classical education from a Catholic perspective, we're talking about really the way that the Catholic Church educated people for 2,000 years, how the church passed on what it means to participate in the human experience for 2,000 years. And the intellectual part is really only half of the part of it. It's the, the sacramental part that really rounds out the whole Catholic experience for young people. And sacramentally, that means living liturgically in harmony with the church. A lot of these schools not only send their children to mass once a week on a Friday um, so that they go as a community, wow. but a lot of these schools are going to daily mass and they're receiving the graces from the mass. And as important, they're learning about worship and they're learning that it's not just about what you get from a mass, but it's about going there to worship God. And then they're also observing the feast days of the church and observing the different seasons of the Catholic church. And that in and of itself helps establish a really strong sense of community uh, for the students at the school. And then those students are bringing those practices into their homes. So it becomes something that the entire family can get involved with. And then really the, the third part of the answer um, about how these schools are, are remaining faithfully Catholic is an embrace of the Christian understanding of humanity. We really need to recognize that we live in a post-Christian world today. And that means we live in a post-truth world. Uh, we live in a world that does not recognize that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And de for decades now, Catholic schools have been borrowing these tactics and these practices from secular modern schools. And as they've done that, they've adopted the secular worldview. And that's at odds very much with the Christian worldview that were made in the image and likeness of God. Um, and that really affects how children see themselves and their purpose in the world. So by by following just the, the Catholic worldview completely and the, the intellectual tra traditions, the sacramental traditions, and really just ignoring everything else that's out there, these schools have been able to grow um, just themselves and to really lift up all the students and the families in their communities. Wow, yeah. And I wanted to stress uh, what you said about the sacramental tradition and daily mass. As a teacher in Catholic schools, I can tell you that Places from daily mass. I've worked in a Catholic school that did weekly mass and I've worked in Catholic schools that have done daily mass and the graces from just that time of prayer for students is palpable. As, when my students are coming out of, uh, out of daily mass, it is just a, a, a calming experience for them. They are more uh, prepared to uh, to have contemplation and leisure in their learning rather than an anxious day, an anxious um, experience of learning. So anyways, I just, I want to stress that, that daily mass aspect. Um, did you find that this model works best in some demographics or um, like, for example, did you find that it works best with highly educated families, in more affluent areas, or what have you found as far as demographics go? So that's actually been one of the neatest part of this project is to be interviewing school leaders in very different areas of the country with very different demographics, um, just different circumstances to live with because 
their approach has been the same in these different communities, and yet they're dealing with all sorts of different communities, and they're all seeing just fantastic results. I'll give you an example. One of the most impressive school leaders that I've gotten to know over the last year is a woman named Janice Martinez, and her school is called Holy Child in Tierras, New Mexico, and this woman is amazing. Early on, she was telling me, so I live in Northern Virginia, and she's familiar with Northern Virginia, and she was telling me early on, you have to understand the community that I'm in is very, very different from where you're from. Uh, it is not an affluent area. Um, people love their kids. Their level of education is just not as high as a, a Washington, D.C. suburb. So I was curious. And I went online to learn more about TRS. And there's a website that uh, rates and grades uh, areas of the country based on different factors. And Janice's community gets an F for violent crime. Mm, wow. Example, um, where I live outside of Washington, D.C., my, my community gets a, a, a B plus for violent crime wow. and her community gets an F for violent crime and for education for schools. Her community gets a D minus and her area ranks 26 percent below the national average. Okay. Now, my schools where I live get an A plus. <laughs> so you can see now Janice's school is really, really interesting because they have earned this reputation for having this very serious Latin program. Okay. <laughs> and she has a Latin program that begins in kindergarten. Wow. Goes all the way through eighth grade. And she has this wonderful Latin teacher. And as they started the program, what's interesting about it is it was the students themselves that embraced the Latin the most and started making Latin a part of all of their school-wide activities and assemblies. It was the students that kept bringing the Latin into everything that, that they were doing. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I learned a lot from Janice, um, just uh, you know, about, about Latin. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have a background in Latin. Um, I do have five children who are all learning Latin right now, but it was Janice really who explained to me that Latin is not just informational, but it's formational that it helps children develop ordered thinking and problem solving skills and, and discipline. And this is something that her whole community has embraced, even though um, these, are, these are students whose parents do not know Latin um, and whose parents might have been even a little confused as to why their kindergartner needed to start to learn Latin. But I think it's, it's important to point out that the reason that Holy Child is thriving is not just because they have a strong Latin program. It's because the Latin program is consistent with the overall philosophy of the school. And the philosophy of the school is one that just rejects the secular world out there that says that, you know, man is made in man's image and, you know, embraces that Christian understanding of, of, of man, that we are made in God's image for the purpose of knowing and serving him and spending eternity with him in heaven. And uh, it is that real understanding of, of the child and the purpose of the child and respecting the dignity of the child in the classroom that has allowed that community to thrive. Mm, beautiful. And you mentioned Latin. Uh, you recently published an article on the Catholic School Playbook blog titled The 21 Things Super Successful Catholic Schools Do Differently. And here at CLT, we always joke that people love lists. People love lists. <laughs> so I'm so glad that you did this. Um, and teaching Latin is one of those 21 things. Could you share a few others from that post? Yes, that was a really fun article to do uh, because a lot of those 21 things 
were kind of surprising. And yes, you mentioned Latin. That was one of the surprising items on the 21 things list. Uh, and some of the other components of uh, a, a curriculum we've also mentioned. So classic literature, philosophy, logic, and daily mass. You know, the fact that so many of these schools have their students going to daily mass. But I'll mention some of the others that some of our readers found a little bit surprising. You know, one is that these Catholic schools that are very, very successful, they don't have anti-bullying programs. Now, the reason I mention this is because if you go into any government school in the month of October, you will see posters all over the school stop bullying now, be kind, treat everybody equally all over the school. And they dedicate an entire month to it. And there's still major bullying programs. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are no, there are no anti-bullying programs in these successful schools. Instead, what they have is virtuous parents and teachers model virtuous behavior for the children because it's adults who provide the moral compass for children. And in a classroom, it's important to understand that that teacher-child relationship really mimics that God's relationship with his own children. So when you demean a child, when you fail to give a, a child the respect uh, that he deserves as a child of God, you bring disorder into that whole relationship. And it's very confusing to the child then how to act to other children. You know, adults definitely provide a moral compass, but so do older children. And that's something that a lot of large families know um, because they can see it happening in their own households. And homeschool families definitely know this. And that's why they will spend a lot of time investing in their older children and teaching their older children to be virtuous, to be respectful, to obey their parents. And it becomes an investment in the whole family because then that older child knows to treat the younger children with respect and and to model virtuous behavior. Well, a lot of these Catholic um, liberal schools have a lot of interaction among the greats. Whereas you'll see a lot of the modern schools have these very strict Um, divisions between the grades. So a kindergartner will never interact with a first grader, who will never interact with a second grader. And there's virtually no interaction between the lower grades and the the much higher grades. So when you have that strict separation, you're not not getting that benefit. So I say that the first one is just the point about virtue, which is a very important part um, of a Catholic education. But um, another one of the things I think was surprising Uh, but was very definitely seen across the board in successful schools is that successful schools largely keep screens out of the classroom. And this is a huge difference because if you go into most modern schools today, all the kids have iPads. Um, A lot of the homework, actually, you're required to have a smartphone um, in order to do the homework. You don't see that at all in these schools, in these successful Catholic schools. And as recently as a few years ago, Um, This idea was gaining acceptance that we need to introduce our children to technology early in order to prepare them for the modern economy. Well, at this point, that has completely been disregarded um, because the drawbacks of screens are so well established. We know that they warp children's capacity for attention. We know that there are even greater dangers out there with pornography and violence because uh, once a child sees an image, you can never unsee that image and it can just um, create really real harm in that child's development. 
So what we've seen from these successful Catholic schools is they've banned personal devices entirely from the classroom. And they have technology-free classrooms at least through eighth grade. And then I'll give one more, one more example, a third okay, example of one of the things that successful Catholic schools differently. Um, and that is that in elementary school, they have multiple recesses every day. Yes. So a lot of these, a lot of these with it, kindergartners all the way up through sixth grade, even eighth grade will have two to three recesses every single day to give these kids an opportunity to get out of their desk, to run around outside. There has been so much research done in this area, which is fascinating that most schools don't do this, but kids need to move. As it turns out, a kid should not be sitting in a desk all day from morning until late afternoon and just receiving information. For their brains to function well, they need to be running around. There's health benefits, overall benefits, but there's also just learning benefits there. But we've seen schools very, very reluctant. And the teachers are often the, the ones who are most reluctant because there is so much pressure on these teachers in modern schools to cover so much material. And they will say, how can I possibly cover all this material if I give the kids breaks throughout the day? So um, so that, that's another one that's been very surprising, but I will say that a lot of parents um, who saw uh, the, the, the need for students to move around during the way, and they said, absolutely, and I wish that this is something that, that my school would take more seriously and listen to the research on it and give these kids an opportunity to move. Yes, I love that. Um, when you have a school like this, there is such a... a like a monastic feel to the school. It hums and buzzes like a, like a monastery. It's peaceful, it's light, it's airy. Um, and so that's, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about that need to get kids outside because um, otherwise it becomes just an a, a, uh, experience of anxiety for both the teacher and the student mm -hmm. to, to try and get through, right? What they believe that they, should be teaching or trying to push through a curriculum. And that's, that is no way to, uh, to learn. Um, yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing there about respecting a child's nature and, um, you know, those of us have boys and girls know that boys don't always play the same as girls play. And um, yeah. I have two, two boys and three girls. And I remember my, my boys were at, a, a, you know, a more traditional school, Catholic school program right. years ago. Um, but, you know, they weren't allowed to touch bugs. And um, boys love to touch bugs. Or climb trees. Things are off limits. Trees are off limits. <laughs> when it snowed, it was torture for the kids not to be able to go anywhere near the snow. They weren't allowed to touch the snow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but that is just that is just going against a child's nature. So if you, you know, you let them outside and you don't let them play the way that they want to play. Um, I think there was also a there was a ban in our school. Um, girls were not allowed to do uh, uh, cartwheels. And then at one point, they actually put a, a band that all the kids had to run a certain way. So they weren't allowed to run. I can't remember if it was counterclockwise or, or clockwise, but they were allowed to run one way, but not the other way. That's crazy. It's like, we might as well just take each student and wrap them in bubble wrap. I mean, there's always going to be a risk. There's, and there, prudence is necessary, of course. Um, but still, you know, there's, if students, if you allow boys to climb trees, they're going to be good at climbing trees and they're not going to fall. Um, but you have to give them the freedom to learn how to play well. Um, 
and, and to, like you said, live in accord with their nature. Um, that's what's best for them. So yeah, I've seen that, seen some things like that too. Um, but there's a lot of schools out there that are, that are not putting these restrictions and they're not seeing, you know, major injuries or, uh, any sort of difference in, uh, in risk or whatever the concern would be. Well, unfortunately, it's become the norm uh, that kids are expected to sit in their desks and receive information and do worksheets and then go home and do sometimes, you know, several hours worth of, of homework at home. And that's res- further restricting their activity time. You know, once right. they're home, they actually can be outside playing. Um, you know, despite the fact that there are all, are all these studies out there saying how important it is for children to move around. Right. Okay. So what advice do you have for Catholic schools that are struggling, that are largely mimicking modern methods? What first steps can they take to embrace the best practices of the schools in the playbook and turn their schools around? That's a great question. And I have a lot of advice. Um, First and foremost, I would say to read and share the playbook. And I would say not just for the best practices. Now, there are lots of great best practices in the playbook, but also to read it for the inspiring stories in there. There are some uh, Catholic schools that are in the playbook who have been around for, which have been around for decades, who started off as faithfully Catholic school, and they've only grown stronger through the years. But there are also schools in the playbook that were struggling, that were on the brink of closure, that have been able to uh, do a complete 180, turn themselves around and renew the school. So um, one of my favorite stories in the school book is Father Robert Sirico's story. He was yes. the pastor. <laughs> Father Sirico is just wonderful. And I, lo- I love this example, too, because he came to Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish with no experience in school administration at all. And in fact, he was told the school was struggling at the at that time, they only had 68 students. And, you know, his bishop told him, if you want to close the school, you can. Um, it's up to you. So he observed the school for a little while, and then he decided to institute some some changes that he felt would help to renew the school and make it more attractive to faithfully Catholic families. And at this point, there are 380 students at his school. So we went from 68 students to 380 students. He did it in a relatively short period of time. And he did all the things we're talking about. So he instituted daily mass. Um, he replaced the leadership. You know, that's something we actually haven't talked about a whole lot yet. Um, right, but, getting right. the, but getting the right people in, in place and getting people who understand a child's nature and how to teach to a child's nature is very, very important. So he replaced the leadership. He also put beautiful art on the walls. Mm-hmm. You know, in classical education, you talk a lot about true, the good and the beautiful and bringing beauty into the classroom was something that was very important to Father Sirico and um, the children and the teachers too um, just responded so well to that. And then of course he introduced a curriculum um, inspired by the great ideas of Western civilization. And um, very, very soon after he instituted these changes, um, he also, actually, I should say one more thing. He also got the homeschool community involved and this was just brilliant on his part because he started offering supplemental courses for homeschool families. And this allowed the homeschool families to come in and to see the changes he was making and to know that he was being very serious about providing uh, a faithfully Catholic education for the students there. And then some of the homeschool families were able to transition to becoming 
full school families. Um, but he's a wonderful example and he has just wonderful advice throughout the playbook. Another example is just a dynamic, wonderful, very smart woman. Her name is Rosemary Vanderweel and she's the principal of Our Lady of Lords in Denver. When she first came to our school, she had 90 students. Um, they've had to expand to a second campus now. They have 350 students. Wow. And Again, one of the very first things that she did was to uh, offer daily mass. Um, what's interesting about her story is she experienced a 100% turnover in faculty in three years. So after three years, none of the teachers that she arrived at that school with um, were there anymore. And that was a hard decision. It's the hardest part of the job sometimes you have to do. But allowing teachers to come in who embraced uh, a Catholic liberal education was really, really necessary. So she saw about 40% of those teachers chose not to return on their own because the program she was offering was just so different than just managing a classroom um, and having the assessments and teaching to the test that a lot of those teachers were used to. And then she had to not renew the contracts of about another 60% of them. Um, but she also, when she had these new teachers coming on board, she really focused on training those teachers. Um, and that is something that she has been very intentional about, you know, month to month, they have training all the time there. They will bring in trainers from the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education and um, other inspirational speakers to come in and help the teachers really um, perfect their craft of teaching. So, so the first, yes, I would say to read, read the playbook. Um, the second, I would say sign up for updates uh, on the website. And the reason that we're encouraging people to actually sign up for updates is because we are continuing to conduct interviews with new school leaders. And we're learning all the time. I can't believe how much I've learned um, about Catholic liberal education over the last year just by interviewing these amazing school leaders. And so we're continuing to update the playbook with best practices. And then we also have a blog and we're sharing just new insights, going a little bit deeper into some of these topics. And so in the, in the next few days, we're going to be publishing a, a blog post about just some of the um, innovative practices that, that, that schools are using during Catholic Schools Week. So that's something that people won't, won't want to miss out on. Now, the third thing I would say is um, to take a look at some of the partners that we list on uh, the Catholic School Playbook. So classic learning test is certainly one of them. So you know, any schools that are not using classic learning test, I would, I would really encourage them to take a look at um, how CLT can help with internal, internal assessments, um, but also uh, in preparation for college. And then looking at some of our other partners. So the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education has really been the leader in the renewal of Catholic liberal education. And uh, they have phenomenal resources, including a map of their member schools, which can be very useful for parents. Um, and then Cana Academy, I would recommend too for teachers for training um, and Catholic education partners as well, because um, you know one of the silver linings of just the craziness we've seen in education with the pandemic over the last couple of years uh, has been um, a new interest in, in school choice and educational choice and looking at, at different ways to fund um, education so that the money is going to help families and supporting the students rather than the school building. I love all of these initiatives that you're there that you're mentioning. Uh, I think like whenever we see the statistics of Catholic education, it can it can seem intimidating. But when we list out all these initiatives that are coming up and and pushing for 
for authentic Catholic education today, I think there's such a, a cause for hope. Um, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, we are seeing schools closing, but we're seeing schools thriving uh, in, in the places that are implementing these things that the Catholic School Playbook is talking about. Mm-hmm. So once again, I just want to stress that there's such a reason for hope uh, with all of these groups that are working together uh, and complementing one another to offer training or to offer the education that's necessary to teachers or parents, or in CLT's case, to offer those assessments um, that are really helpful for administrators. Um, So let's talk about parents for a second. What advice could you give a parent who might be hesitant about Catholic liberal education? Yeah, well, first of all, I I understand why a parent might be hesitant. As you said, there's such momentum in the Catholic liberal education movement right now, which is really exciting. But for most schools, they're not a part of the movement yet. And it can be a little intimidating to initially opt out of what everybody else is doing. When all the other parents are are so worried about, you know, where where their kid's going to go to college and are they going to learn enough STEM and Um, you know, how are they going to do on the SAT? And, you know, it can be very, very scary to to decide to do something different, right? Well, a couple of things there. One is that when parents do opt out of what the modern schools offer, and they do um, join a a, a school that is faithfully Catholic, um, what they find is their kids actually do better on those assessments that the other modern schools are trying to teach towards. Um, And that's because it's just a a, a full education that a child receives when the dignity of the child is completely respected and the, the order of the world is respected and a child learns according to his nature. So I would say, I know it takes some some courage initially to opt out of it, um, but my experience in talking to not only the school leaders, but I also had the chance to talk to a lot of the parents who are at these different schools, um, it can be scary to take those initial steps, but then there's no looking back. And there's such a difference um, in education. even just uh, the amount of joy that a child experiences, the fact that school is not boring to kids who are who are who are um, in these school communities, the fact that all of a sudden they enjoy learning, um, the fact that they're allowed to make discoveries in the classroom that they were never you know they're allowed to touch bugs. We were talking about a few minutes ago. Um, you know, it's just a it's just a more it's a more natural experience for children. It's more satisfying. Um, so the parents that I've talked to uh, just have not looked back at all. And actually, most of them say, I wish I wish I knew that these kinds of schools were out here sooner. So we could have started with them a little bit sooner. Kimberly, don't you think it's maybe prudent just to go in tour? Like, you don't have to necessarily go in thinking you're going to commit to a Catholic classical or Catholic liberal education, but just go to the school, talk to the headmaster, maybe send your child for a shadow day. Um, Just go and see, because a lot of it is a hindsight revelation for parents. You know, they, you know, this is brought into a school and they see the fruits of it. And that's what really um, is the the testimony, uh, the proof in the pudding, I guess. Um, what do you think about just going and trying it? 
Well, shadow days are amazing and a lot, not all schools offer them, but increasingly schools do offer them because it's a wonderful way to allow the child to experience really what that school is like firsthand because most of the time that school is nothing like the school that they currently attend. I'll tell you a funny story. Years ago, I had my boys at the local parochial school here and, um, you know, they did fine in school, but they, they weren't jazzed about school or anything. And we shadowed um, at the school they're currently at. And we were warned in advance, you know, don't have your kids shadow at the school unless you're really prepared to send your kids to the school. My boys, there, there was just no going back. <laughs> so they came home and they said, you know, mom, not only were we allowed to touch bugs, they just loved that they didn't have to stand in line. You know, a lot of a lot of Catholic schools are, are really big about being um, standing in very straight lines. So they just they, they go from sitting in up in their seats in their classroom and then they go to, to go into mass and they're all in straight lines and there's just order um, almost just for the sake of, 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 of order in these, in, in, in so many of these Catholic schools and um, in a way that it just feels very punishing for a young boy. Right. And um, when they shadowed at this school, they just, they were allowed to run everywhere and they just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, isn't it great when you, your kids come into the car after a long day of school <laughs> and you ask them, Hey, what did you learn at school today? And they have a million things to say and they actually oh, respond with what they learned. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing. And, and to have teachers who are passionate about the, the subject matter that they're teaching and who genuinely like kids. I mean, that's the wow. other, the secret to this is being a good teacher, you have to really enjoy engaging with kids and get excited when you see them excited about the subject matter. Um, because that, uh, that really makes an impression on kids. And about the age of 12, kids start looking at other adults who are not their parents as mentors. And I think teachers at all, at all ages, you know, from kindergarten all the way through high school are very important. But all of a sudden, when you hit about 12 years old, that kids start looking at the other adults in, um, in more of a mentoring way. And I think that's an age when it becomes very, very important that you have uh, very virtuous teachers for these young people to look up to. And teachers that extend a mutual respect to the student and respect their dignity. So like I've worked in a variety of different schools and, you know, public schools that I worked in, um, some Catholic schools as well. The, the dynamic in the teacher's lounge and the conversation between teachers was so rude towards students at times. It was very stunning to me um, and when I moved to, you know, I worked at Sacred Heart for a year, um, and, and just the difference there was, there was a, such a endearing tone towards students. There was such a respect towards students. It was a community of learners. Teachers weren't overlords, you know, they were mutual learners in, in, um, we were all in that, um, endeavor of, of education together, it wasn't one over the other. There was a no, risk. You're, you're, you're right. And, um, you know, people are hesitant to discuss this because, uh, you know, our teachers do give so selflessly often to their students. But you're absolutely right that the culture is very different. And um, the biggest difference is the partnership with parents. Yes. So um, it's something that actually I haven't mentioned yet. One of the biggest differentiators between the really successful schools is they genuinely respect parents as the primary educators of their children. 
And right away, when you talk to the teachers, it's how do we help your child? How do we work together? Whereas I can tell you from other schools, there's often almost an adversarial relationship between teacher and parent. And it's, I'm the teacher. Let me tell you what's wrong with your kid. Let me tell you where your kid is falling short. And let me tell you what you need to do at home. Um, it just, it feels very, very different. Um, it's almost like at, at these schools, you're on the, you're on the same side and you're, and you're both looking um, in the same direction at the child. Whereas in, in some of these schools, that have adopted some of these modern tactics. Um, it's almost like you're facing each other and it's the teacher telling you everything that is wrong with your child instead of recognizing that child as a, a unique child, um, a child of God um, who was born exactly the way that God expected that child to be born um, and whose differences need to be respected. Yeah, and this is an interesting topic. Um, because when I, my experience of working at Sacred Heart, and I don't want to talk too much about, talk too much for them because we're going to be bragging on them all day uh, tomorrow when we, <laughs> um, but I, I do want, I, I do want to say that, um, or highlight that when you do, when a school adopts a Catholic liberal education, they are going against the stream of culture. They're going against the norm. So parents and families that are attracted to that are going to be on the same page as the teachers and the administration. There was what I like to call like a Trinitarian relationship between parents, teachers, and administration at, um, at Sacred Heart. There was such a cooperation. Everybody was on the same page. And I think that can really only happen if you are, if the school is making it, um, a bold statement about what their mission is. Uh, oftentimes the missions can be blurry and you get a wide range of different families that have different goals and different philosophies. But when you really narrow it down to a Catholic liberal education, that's going to attract families that are interested in that specifically. And, and you know, it's going to create a community of people that are like-minded and pursuing the same goal. And there's just a fraternal feel to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right about that. In fact, one of the um, interview questions that I had um, that I asked all of the school leaders is, you know, what, what's the greatest resource um, that you have at your school? And one of the teachers said unified parents, Yeah, um, which I, I think is, is, is a really important truth. Yeah. And schools have to give those parents something to unite Yep. around something concrete yep. and specific and the tradition and authenticity of the church and their education is a great way to do that. Um, so, okay. Finally, what, uh, Kimberly, I, I know we, we like to ask this question on the anchor podcast. What is a book that has made an impact in your life? Is there one book that you can highlight? Oh my, um, that's a really hard question. Um, I can tell you that over the last maybe 10 years, I've started reading a lot more, a lot of the classic works that I did not have the opportunity to read because they were honestly never presented to me um, as a child. And I, I started with children's literature um, because I was very interested in my own children's education. Um, and I, you know, I, I did read a lot of, a, a lot of adult literature. So I did read War and Peace, yes. um, which, which was wonderful. And I read all of the Jane Austen books, um, which I thought were wonderful. 
Um, I have to say that probably my favorite book um, that I've read over the last 10 years was a work of children's literature. Um, it's Frances uh, Hodgson Burnett's A Little Princess. Have you read this book? Oh, beautiful. A wonderful, wonderful book. Um, I read it a few times. My, my daughter, who's now 12 years old, I think she was eight years old when she read it for the first time. I just fell in love with everything about this book, from the characters in the book to the, the, the beautiful language in the book. I find myself thinking about it constantly. Um, probably my, my favorite kinds of books, I love reading about the saints. I have a, a real love for Catholic saints. I'm reading a wonderful biography on Mother Teresa right now. Um, but as far as um, you know, the books that I, I think I, I keep going back to, that I keep thinking about, um, for whatever reason, this is one that captured my imagination <laughs> as, as a mother and as an adult, even though it's, it's, it's a work that is, um, uh, written for children, but I think it's one of those books that you can enjoy at any age. Oh, well, as Lewis would say, every great children's book has to be uh, good for adults as well. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And how can our listener land support the work that you're doing? Oh, great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, well, you know, I would say first and foremost, you know, the Catholic school playbook is not just for for parents and, and people involved in Catholic education. I think that all of society needs to be concerned about our education. And as, as far as Catholics go, Catholics really need to be concerned about um, how we're bringing up the next generation of, of young people. So this is something that we should be talking to our pastors about, um, about the uh, education that all of the young people in our parishes are receiving. Um, I think that we should be in, encouraging our schools to be um, providing a more authentic Catholic education. Um, and beyond that, I think we need to be supporting our schools, supporting them financially. So awesome. Father Sirico had a, a wonderful insight, which is if we were just tithing um, as Catholics to the level that is um, required by canon law, we would be able to fully fund our schools um, and be able to provide a more authentic education for our children. So, you know, that is something that I think that all of us really should be doing is, is understanding the importance of education in our society and fixing so many of society's uh, problems um, and educating ourselves, which I know you're doing a great job at at CLT, educating people about the importance of education and really what a what a um, good education looks like, which is very different than what a lot of modern schools offer today. Splendid. Don't forget to keep following along this week as we glean wisdom from leaders working in Catholic schools today. Kimberly, thank you for everything you're doing for Catholic education and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Chelsea. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.